Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Today's guest interview is with Tara Garrison. So this last weekend, I was able to go to KetoCon here in Austin and present on low carbohydrate endurance approaches. And while I was there hanging out in the S fields booth, I had the opportunity to do some podcast recording as well. So Tara came over and recorded about an hour and talking about just her style to training nutrition and uh, just get into kind of what she's all about. So Tara Garrison is the founder of Hire, a health and life coaching company that offers training, nutrition, mindset, and biohacking coaching. She has helped many celebrities, professionals, athletes, and top executives optimize their health. Tara is the creator of the popular Keto In and Out system and author of Short-Term Keto, in which she teaches how to do keto, not forever, to optimize metabolism, brain power, athletic performance, and physique. She is the host of the Inside Out Health podcast, a mom of four, avid weightlifter, Boston marathoner, and lover of nature. Some of Tara's education and certifications include National Academy of Sports Medicine, International College of Applied Nutrition and Strength, Certified Functional Strength Coach, Charles Poliquin's Metabolic Analysis, Certified Neurotyping Coach, Muscle Intelligence 40 Level 1 and 2, and Muscle Nerds currently receiving a Certified Holistic Health Coach and Therapeutic Nutritional Counselor. So in this episode, we dove into a lot of that stuff. I specifically was interested in just kind of the breadth of things that Tara has done over her both fitness and nutrition uh, time span. So anytime I have a chance to talk to someone who has both qualified and ran the Boston Marathon, as well as competed in a bodybuilding competition, I usually jump at that opportunity because those folks have a pretty wide ranging view of just physical activity in general when they kind of go to two ends of the spectrum like that. Uh, obviously I also wanted to ask her about her nutrition, what she thought about strict keto, what her thoughts were when, when she had done that in the past, her own specific results and some of the results she's seen with the clients she works with and where she kind of lands now on that sort of stuff. So we talked about all that stuff and more on this episode. Also coming up on the podcast, I have a couple solo episodes that I'll be releasing in the coming weeks that will be a fun dive into a couple different topics. They're all kind of generated from some, some listener questions or topics. And I tried to group them together. So they kind of matched and essentially I have two kind of bigger ones groups together. The first one has to do with the psychology motivation and consistency of a well thought out endurance training plan or build up. So I talked about some of the things that I do and what I help the folks I'm coaching work with on those topics of what's the psychological element of, of racing and what can you do in training to kind of help bolster that? And then how do you stay motivated and what are some tricks and tips to, to stay motivated throughout an entire plan versus just getting excited at the start and then kind of fizzling out before you get to the event itself, or, or maybe ultimately bailing on the, the plan altogether. And then consistency, like what is a good way to make it more likely that you're able to stay consistent within whatever training plan you decide to do. So I like to think like that one's probably a little more carryover to multiple different uh, fitness disciplines in terms of kind of how you maybe approach things. I use a lot of examples from, from running because that's the one I do and coach on. Uh, but I think it's applicable for, for a lot of folks who are looking to kind of get a little bit insight into those, those topics. 
Uh, the second one is one I did on low carb endurance. And I touched on a bunch of things like what would I recommend someone eat if they were going to be like, say, strict keto and going on a long run versus say just more general low carb. Like what would I recommend someone eat the days before a race or an event if they're following a low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet? Uh, things like fueling after your workout and a few other topics along those lines. So those two are coming up from the solo perspective. Also coming up on the podcast, a couple of guest interviews that should be sooner rather than later is going to be one with Logan Delgado and then one with Kara Clear. So a couple of guest interviews in the pipeline as well. Um, the guest ones are yet to get put up there, but uh, this podcast, as well as those two solo ones I mentioned, are up on the show Patreon page where you can get the audio version of the show ad free. So if you want to support the show and also get that early release ad free audio option, that's a great spot to do it. You can link over to the show's Patreon page by heading over to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. Also over there at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO is options to make a single one-time donation. If you want to support the show monetarily, you can do that through standard routes as well as crypto now. So if you want to support the show monetarily, but don't want to use Patreon, that's a great way to do it. Uh, if you want to help spread the word of the show and help it grow without doing a monetary donation, it does go a long ways if you are able to like, subscribe, and share the episodes that you enjoy with your friends and family so that I can help grow the show and ultimately do more episodes. Um, on top of that, another way to support the show is by supporting the show sponsors if they have a product that you may find useful in your day-to-day. So this episode's sponsors include Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens flagship product, AG1, is a supplement that contains 75 high-quality vitamin, mineral, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that will help start your day right. I take one scoop of AG1 and two drops of their vitamin D and eight ounces of cold water first thing in the morning. If you're looking to add a multivitamin to your regimen, AG1 is lifestyle friendly and fits into a keto, paleo, low carb, dairy-free or gluten-free and even vegan diet. It has only one gram of sugar, no GMOs and is free of artificial ingredients. AG1 continually updates their product based on the latest science and third-party testing. On top of that, they donated over 1.2 mil meals, 1.2 million meals to kids in 2020. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash HPO. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash HPO to get ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You can also find the links to that discount as well as the details for that in the show notes or by heading over to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Also supporting the show is Optimal Carnivore. Optimal Carnivore knows that organ meats are some of the most nutrient dense products on the planet. Optimal Carnivore has shared with us their beef liver, organ meat, and bone marrow products in the past, but want to let you all know about their new addition to the lineup. It is nootropic called Brain Nourish. Nootropics can potentially boost overall brain function, focus, and productivity. Optimal Carnivore includes lion mane mushroom. 
Each serving has 1500 milligrams of hundred percent organic lion's mane mushroom and 1500 milligrams of beef brain sourced from the highest quality regenerative farms in New Zealand. If you would like to give brain nourish or any of the optimal carnivore products a try, they will plant a tree for every product sold. Simply head over to amazon.com forward slash optimal carnivore and use the code human save 10 to receive 10% off your next order. All right, folks, that's it. Let's get into this episode with Tara Garrison. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I am here with uh, a guest recording live from uh, KetoCon. Tara, thanks for taking some time and coming on the show. So honored. (laughs) Thank you for having me. You're a legend. This is a legend. (laughs) Imagine me. It's so fun. Yeah, we were were chatting a bit off, off record about how like you kind of a good guest for this podcast. Cause I dabble in a lot of health and fitness with a little bit of a skew towards endurance, but there's also the strength component yeah. and different athletes that I have on. You've kind of done all those things. Yeah. And then you're in the kind of low carb community as yeah. well, which this podcast kind of has a little bit of a lean towards as well. So I think we'll have some fun stuff to talk yeah, about. Yeah, Can't wait. Let's dig in all of it. <laughs> so what, what, what brought you to KetoCon this year? Uh, this year I am actually speaking on at maximizing athletic performance on keto. Oh, cool. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a topic that I think we'll jump into because I'm one of my fascinations with just ketogenic or low carb nutrition is how does it play differently with different sports or which sports does it maybe play a little nicer with and where do you got to do more wiggle room and stuff. But maybe let's start with like a little bit of running and your background because you have a kind of an interesting background with relationship maybe with running. I should say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, you guys know how it is. If you're in the gyms with, you know, bodybuilders or lifters, like they, usually when I tell people that I love running, I get a lot of hate. You might get that too. (laughs) Like, I don't know how you like that. Um, so this is how it started. My mom, when my mom was in high school in the, in the sixties, they didn't have a girls track team at her school in Tucson, Arizona, but she ran the mile so fast in PE that they put her on the boys track team. Can you imagine this in the sixties? That's crazy. They put her on the boys track team and some of the boys quit because they didn't want a girl to beat them, which is like my favorite part of the story. So funny. And, um, the next year they made a girls track team for her and she really, I mean, she was top 10 in the country and multiple events. She was really good, but, and she made it to the Olympic trials. But at that time she was more of the endurance track athlete, right? So Mm -hmm. two miles was her event and they didn't have that yet. So she had to run the mile and she didn't qualify, but you know, she was, um, it was like a very beautiful time of her life. So when I grew up, as the youngest of her five kids, mm-hmm. I remember sneaking into high school tracks. We're trying to squeeze through the chain link <laughs> fences, being rebels, just so my mom could go run. And I would play in the long jump sand. And then eventually, you know, she taught me things like fart licks and, yeah. <laughs> you know, racing across the grass and, you know, posture, breath, breath was the first thing my mom ever taught me oh, about running even before posture, mm-hmm. you know, um, which I, to this day, I'm so grateful for. And I think that's amazing that she was aware of that. You know, I just remember I hated it as a kid, mm-hmm. but I remember her going two breaths in, two breaths out. She was relentless about it. Nice. She's like, keep your breathing even, you know? Um, and then she taught me about, you know, not wasting energy through my upper body, keeping that relaxed, you know, four leaning little competition, competition tricks. Like if you can beat somebody for 10 steps, you will psych them out and they will probably not beat you again, you know, just little things like that. And so I ended up running for fun in middle school and high school. It was just kind of like second nature, but I never did it competitively because I was kind of chubby growing up. So I was too intimidated to go try out for high school track or cross country, but I would just run in my own time and listen to music and have fun. And then 
I um, eventually had four kids and I became one of those like mom runners, you yeah. know, <laughs> there's a lot of those. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's just like signing up for half marathons and stuff with my friends. And my sister actually taught me into doing a full marathon, which I did not want to do. I was like, the people have something wrong with them. Like, why would you do that to themselves? And you're like a marathon, that's nothing. Um, but so I did it with her to like support her. And I was the one who ended up loving it. She never ran one again. Um, and I was trying to qualify for Boston and I was nine minutes off every single time. I mean, we're talking it's down to the seconds, right? I was like, wow, I am maxed out over the course of 26 miles. I am finishing within like 15 to 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I, I kind of gave up. I admit it was after three failed attempts for Boston. I was like, nine minutes is a long time, you know? Yeah. And then I found weightlifting and I got really into it, like straight up classic, like bodybuilder style weightlifting. But you know, even though I don't follow a bodybuilder lifestyle anymore, going from standard American diet to mm. eating mostly vegetables, rice, sweet potatoes, chicken, beef, you know, like eggs, like it was real food. Yeah. So I dropped 40 pounds and then I got muscular, which mm. changed my power to weight ratio. And my next race, I, I signed up for a full marathon, no, a half marathon on the drop of a dime, like with like two weeks. And I, just smoked my PR. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna see if I can qualify for Boston. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I had four weeks to get ready for a race and I shaved 30 minutes off of my marathon time. I qualified for Boston with 17 minutes to spare. Wow. And then I trained for that in keto, which we can segue to if you want, but yeah, yeah that's my story. That's just so it. interesting that it was the bodybuilding experience that ultimately kind of yeah. put you in a position to get to that Boston. Who would have thunk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, maybe the, one of the last sports people would imagine if you told them I used one sport other than running that right. got me to qualify for Boston. Right. But you know, given the way you explain things, I think it does kind of make sense because you know, nutrition is a big part of performance as well as like you said, power weight ratio. Right. I mean, there's a balancing act there as I'm sure you know, but, right. but uh, when you're in a position where there's some weight to lose and after having four kids, there's really no way around that in most cases I would imagine. So like the bodybuilding phase maybe gave you that's that, that, that jumpstart to pay attention to nutrition yep. in a way that you need to, to be in that world. Exactly. exactly. I mean, you lose 40 pounds, you're going to get faster. Mm -hmm. Right. But I was running full marathons right before I started that I had run a full marathon and I just, you know how it is when you don't have the metabolic machinery, when mm -hmm. you don't have the insulin sensitivity to really be appropriately using the food you're eating instead of it going to fat storage, you know, you're going to be slower. I was, yeah. I was, the typical skinny fat. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it was very helpful for me in racing to be able to shift my body composition. I'm 40 pounds lighter and stronger. It's too. functional, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, so did you, uh, when you first did the bodybuilding contest, had you already started kind of keto and stuff at that point or were no. you still? Nope. And I wasn't competing. I just got really carried away with it. I'm mm -hmm. one of those, like, I mean, I'm sure. sure you can relate when I go, I, especially when it's like, fun and new, you know, I just went all the way. So I, I looked like a competitive bodybuilder for sure. And uh -huh. I was, I was, I had no idea what my body fat was. I was just all up in it, you know, in yeah. that life. When I started keto, I got a DEXA scan. I was 11% body fat. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was so surprised. Were... I did not know that I was that lean. I don't look that lean when I'm that lean. Right. So I was like, whoa, maybe I should gain some body fat. That's a lot. <laughs> you know, people always ask if I lost my period. I did not, but, um, so I started keto from that place, uh -huh. just qualified for Boston, still lifting like crazy. Right. And then, and then I started keto. Now for me, keto, um, I had four months to get ready for Boston. 
and I'm, I'm, I was adapting at the same time, right? So at first my performance was down, but over time using, you know, um, resistance starch, using ketones, understanding electrolytes and optimizing that better, I was feeling good in my training. Um, I still, for me personally, never had the performance level that I did when I had carbs during mm -hmm. keto, but it was pretty good. Boston 2017, if anybody ran that, it was really hot that yeah. year, really <laughs> hot. And I can't believe I did this, but I didn't check to see if you could have camel packs. So I had a camel pack full of ketones. It was full of ketones already. I had salt packs in there. I had salt pills. I had, you know, everything that I needed. And I go to get on the bus and the guy goes, oh, you can't take that on here. And oh, I'm no. like, oh, no, no, oh, I have to. Thing, right. And I yeah. made sure I was in ketosis. Like I was like a 1.2. I was like ready to go. And I'm like, yeah, because of the bombing. I was like, no, please. Please, I promise I'm a good person. Like, <laughs> I need this. It's just keto. No explosives in this pack. I swear. Yeah, and so I got severely dehydrated. Yeah. In that race, like the Gatorade electrolytes just mm -hmm. weren't enough. Plus, I'm drinking glucose, and like it was just, it was. Yeah. You, know, you were set up for a different approach. And yes. I mean, marathon aid stations too are so funny to me, coming kind of from the ultra running world, because marathon aid stations, it's like you get some water, you'll get whatever sports drink is sponsoring it. Yeah. You might get a salt tab at one aid station and then there'll be some sort of goo pack or something there. And then, and then you might get a banana or orange or somewhere along the way. But yes. other than that, that's about it. In ultra running, you have like everything under the sun wow. at these aid stations where uh, we were just joking about, about it earlier. Cause even over in Europe, they get even more creative where they'll have like kind of cheese and cold cuts and stuff at some of their aid stations for some amazing. of these really long ones. Cause they're like, well, it's going to get cold overnight. They're going to want soups and more savory at this time. Amazing. And, and so it's a little different. <laughs> I couldn't, I was so, so Boston, if anyone's run it, it's just like the most beautiful human support experience yeah. I've ever experienced. Like I wanted to cry. It was just like, they weren't just standing there. People were like raving fans. Yeah. Like you're a rock star for like 26 miles. I was like, these people are so nice, but they all had oranges. They all had oranges and none of the aid stations, like the medical stations, none of them had salt, nobody. Oh. And my legs got to the point where they felt like they were going to explode. I was retaining so much water. I was blacking out. I had fully surrendered to being one of those people that yeah. wakes up, not where I remember being, you know, <laughs> it got to the point where every step was like, did it. I'm sure you've been in that place. Yeah. Right? Like you're so in the moment, you're just like, did it, did it, did it, you know? And somehow miraculously I finished, but I was like, I would give anything for a banana, at least some potassium, something, yeah. you know, some or salt, you know, I was about to knock on somebody's door and be like, can I have some salt? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's actually a fun fun topic to talk about. I actually just did a podcast recently talking about kind of proper hydrating and electrolyte stuff. And, um, I mean, there's a big range in sodium yeah. needs from yes. one person to the next to where we're like, you got to kind of start somewhere and then kind of whittle down where you find yourself lying. And then the interesting thing I always find too, is like when you get into a situation like you were, where you're fairly strict keto, um, you know, you remove that carbohydrate. And I think what I like to say is like, pay attention to the last half of that word hydrate, because right. the, one of the values of carbohydrate is it's going to tether itself to like two or three grams of water, exactly. which is going to assist hydration to a degree. So it's so like, what do you replace right. that with if you're low carb keto right. and the answer is sodium exactly. in most cases. So like exactly. you remove that tool from your toolbox on race day, yeah. you're going to get hit a little harder. I knew it. I was riding that bus like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm going to try not to say it, but deep down I was like, I'm not 
sitting pretty for this race. Like I'm so deep in ketosis, it's blazing hot outside and I've got no salt, you know? And I'll add to that on the differences. One thing that I do with my clients is we do DNA analysis. Okay. And something interesting that maybe people consider, especially if you're a ketogenic endurance athlete, is there's one gene that's well studied called the COM T. Mm -hmm. And if you have a slow COM T, what that means is you will hold on to catecholamines. So like all the uppers, right? Especially adrenaline, you'll hold oh, on really? to that oh. for about four. 40% longer. And that's from Anthony J who would probably be really cool. If you ever wanted to dive into DNA and athletic performance on your yeah. podcast, he's really great. You know, DNA guy that used to work at Mayo clinic, you know, um, really deep in it. And so he did my analysis and he said, yeah, you'll hold on to adrenaline for about 40% longer than other people. Well, when you're in that high adrenaline space, mm -hmm. you're going to, it's diuretic. You're going oh, yeah. to lose your, your kidneys are going to flush faster, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to lose more sodium potassium. So just something to keep in mind or explore, obviously with genetics, we're in like not even in junior kindergarten yet in terms of what right. we know, yeah. but yeah. I, I definitely have seen that in myself that, you know, before I became aware of this, I would all, always on my blood work be like, you're really dehydrated. And mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I didn't know, yeah. you know? And so for huh. me, for athletic performance and just in general in life, salt has become a crucial part of how I perform and just how I feel on the daily. So yeah, thing. does, I'm not sure if you know this, but I wonder if like with that expression, that DNA expression, does that, are you like, do you hyper respond to like caffeine then? No, caffeine goes through a different pathway, but it's, it, it is connected, right? Okay. So CYP1A2 is the traditional, are you a fast, you know, regular or slow metabolizer of caffeine. Okay. But what's interesting, and this is why genetics is such an interesting, you know, it's like, Somebody might tell you, you have this mutation, but for all we know, you have four other mutations yeah. that totally compensate for yeah. it. Right. And so this is kind of one of those scenarios. I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine, mm -hmm. but I have a slow calm tea. Okay. Right. So I get rid of the caffeine faster, mm -hmm. you know, about half of the half-life. So about two hours, a normal person would be about four. Yeah. A slow would be about eight, but I have a slow calm tea. So I'm holding on to, sure. you know, adrenaline. So if I'm working out and I'm super caffeinated, I'll hold on to that. Okay. longer. Interesting. Yeah. So you can have caffeine in the afternoon and it won't bother your sleep habits as much. Right. Okay. Right. But, and that's, that is what I have found even mm. with the slow calm tea. I, that's what I found. Um, but another thing that's interesting to know about that is how fast metabolizers of caffeine, how they respond to caffeine differently in terms of athletic performance. Oh yeah. So I really dove into the research on this because I mm -hmm. have the mutation, right? And so what they found, and these are pretty big research studies. I'm sorry, I'll, you know, if you want me to send them to you, I can. But one of them, they were showing that people who are fast metabolizers of caffeine get four times the athletic performance increase because it's going through them faster oh, yeah. than a slow metabolizer mm -hmm. of caffeine because it's taking longer for it to work, right? And just from intuitively, you know, anecdotally from my own experience, I get a huge performance increase from caffeine. Right? Yeah. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Caffeine's interesting for performance because it's like one of the biggest performance boosting substances that's legal. Right. So like, right. you know, it's one of those things where like playing around with it, if performance is your goal is definitely worthwhile, but then you do have a range. So it is like one of those, you know, we see more of these, the deeper you look in a sport where like people have advantages uh, that are outside of everyone's control in terms of like, right. You take someone who doesn't respond to caffeine at all, which right. I think is pretty rare, but it is there. So now all of a sudden this great tool that everyone else has available to them and some with like 
a spectrum of, of results is they're going to be leaning into that while you're sitting there with very little right. luck of it. And there's a tolerance that builds up too, right? Yeah. So if you're doing it every day, you know, pretty soon mm. you're going to be one of those tin scoopers and, yeah. you know, you're like <laughs> frying your adrenals, right? So like it's my good French to... purse is half filled with coffee grounds. <laughs> yeah. And I, I heard you speak at Metabolic Health Summit in, I don't know when that was, maybe 2019, 2018, somewhere around then. Yeah. And I remember you saying that, you know, when you train without carbs, that the carbs become like jet fuel yeah. for you. Mm. And caffeine's it's, I think it's smart to have a similar approach. Like sometimes mm. go without it, resensitize yourself so if you are going to use that as a performance enhancing tool you're sensitive to it yeah just like carbs when it, you're keto it's also crazy how quick that resets or at least it yeah. did for me i uh i took a week off of caffeine after a race one time one year and i had been doing probably a little more caffeine than normal in that buildup. and after one week i had yeah. like literally like a third of the amount of coffee i normally was right. it was just like hurt up like, yep Yep. probably twice as much as normal. I'm like, okay, I got to remember to just take a week off every once in yeah, a while. Yeah, they say like nine or 10 days is generally uh -huh. enough. I bet a week would be it. And I've done that too. And if anybody, I know you guys are all addicted to caffeine. So <laughs> like if anybody, this is a strategy I think is really helpful is to stop on a Friday, right? Because there's barriers, there's emotional barriers yeah. with starting on a Monday, right? You're yeah. like, oh, my work performance and my gym week. performance and everything is going to go to crap. So I start on a Friday because you still kind of like, the day after, I don't know. I still feel kind of fine. And then I'll spend a ton of time in nature that weekend. Oh, I'll just cool. hike and get tons of vitamin D, tons of negative ion. I mean, I live in Utah where there's mountains, right? So I just spend a lot of time in nature and it's so easy breezy to mm -hmm. resensitize that way. So just a tip. Yeah. <laughs> no, Utah is so underrated for their outdoor stuff. It's it's an amazing state. And yes, it is. Uh, there's some really fun ultra marathons out that way and a pretty good ultra running community in Utah. So like some of the listeners yes. will probably be like, Hey, that's me. I'm yeah, training the, in the Wasatch. The Antelope Island peaks. <laughs> Antelope Island, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. some good stuff. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So um, let's see, where were we before I took us off on a tangent? I think we were looking at, uh, I think I'd asked you about your bodybuilding experience and had yeah. you gone low carb yet? And you had said, no, not yet. So yes. when did that kind of transition? Yeah. Take so, place? um, it was at, at that time, you know, I was kind of, I had just qualified for Boston in recent months. I was like fully in the bodybuilding thing. And I, um, got introduced to keto by a guy that I was dating at the time who was an experienced health coach. And I was interested in it from my nerdy sciencey biohacky, you know, yeah. I didn't obviously didn't need it for fat loss, but I was interested in the brain benefits, especially because my mom has mental health issues that developed sure. into Alzheimer's. Right. So I was like, Hmm, maybe I should try that out. And so my experience of keto personally was my brain loves keto. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like <laughs> I always say, I don't know why I'm like, I feel like a vampire or something like this <laughs> eternal being that sees everything. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Like I can tell the moment it kicks in. I'm like, there it is. There it is. You know, everything yeah. becomes more mentally clear. I, it feels great, you know, but, but from a body composition perspective, I did worse on keto. So I wrote a book called short-term keto and mm -hmm. I share that experience in the book. Right. But I'm grateful that I did my phase of keto uh -huh. because I mean, as anybody knows, who's done it, like you completely only respond to biological hunger. There's mm -hmm. no such thing as hanger or jitters or shakiness, which I did used to get even in that bodybuilding phase, even though I was insulin sensitive and lean and strong and could perform like a boss. If I went too long, I would get, you know, moody, a little bit shaky. Right. So I didn't have 
as good of blood sugar management as I could have. So I'm grateful that I did keto. I did it strict for a year. Mm -hmm. Um, athletic performance in the gym was pretty good, you know, like for a little, as long as I had enough salt, you know, as long as I had enough salt, I would use exogenous ketones and stay hydrated. I was doing pretty well in the gym, even hit workouts, even, you know, functional, you know, circuit style training that Mm -hmm. was all going well. But um, over the course of the year, I, I did lose muscle and gain body fat, even with, I mean, we were in the, no, we were as deep in the keto community as you could get. Right. So even with optimizing protein, I was eating very high quality food, supplementing leucine, all those things. Like my body composition started to trend in a less favorable direction. Okay. I gained body fat and lost muscle mass, you know, and it was, um, it was a, I guess the nerdy coach side of me was like, no, dude, I can figure this out. Yeah. Like what the heck, you know? And then finally, actually it was when I started doing genetic testing. I just kept getting all these reports back saying like, you do better with more carbs genetically. You're predisposed mm-hmm. to do better with carbs. And what I find interesting about that is I, I don't really like fatty foods that much. It's not a preference for okay. me. Like I did, I hated steak and greasy foods, fatty foods growing up. Right. Uh-huh. And so it's interesting. There's, there's some genes that are, you know, I'm not going to say we have enough data to really say, you know, there's some genes where we're looking at response to fat, saturated fat. Sure. But all I know is I just intuitively and also um, from a lot of reports I was getting, I was like, let me just try bringing some carbs back in. So over the course of that keto year, I actually gained, um, I went up to 18% body fat, lost significant amount of muscle. And then over nine months of bringing cars back in now, of course on the DEXA scan, your lean mass is going to look higher because you're filling your muscles with water again and and glycogen. Right. So the numbers are always skewed. I hate that on the research studies with keto, right. I'm like, that's not fair. We got to make sure the muscles are just as full of glycogen and water when we rescan them. Right. Right. (laughs) Right? Or maybe put them into ketosis for three or four days first and then Mm -hmm. scan them, you know, but anyway, um, but I went back down to like 12.8% body fat without even trying again. So that was my personal experience, you know, and, um, it, you know, it was an interesting personal experience to have, cause here I am coaching all these athletes and regular people having great success with keto, mm-hmm. not everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people, you know? And yeah. so it was an interesting experience and it really opened my mind. You know, I think when you're working one-on-one with people, you get your, you know what handed to you enough that yeah. you will never be dogmatic about right. any approach. You can't be when you're working You can't be. <laughs> it's like good luck to you, mm-hmm. you know. So that you know, and so I love keto for so many reasons. And I'm also open-minded that it may not be the best approach for everyone, or it may not be the best approach for everyone forever. Right. And I like your approach too, because you utilize carbohydrates strategically yeah. mm-hmm. in your performance as well, which is just smart. Yeah. Yeah, it gets interesting, I think, when you introduce like varying lifestyle factors that yes. change frequently. So like an endurance athlete may have like polarizing days within a week where like you have rest day where your energy demands are quite low relative. And then with the long run day where you may like double your, your resting metabolic rate or something like right. that. And it's like, how do you kind of piece that together with right. any type of like singular nutrition strategy? You have to know what levers to pull when. Exactly. Yeah. I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, Listen, like, you know, even in terms of executing a workout, I'm like, I don't know what your stress levels are like. I don't know if you're, you just found out your child is suicidal and you're like, can't even see which way is up and you didn't get any sleep last night. You know, there's a lot of levers, just a lot Mm -hmm. of levers all the time. And so, you know, I think it's, it's great to learn, like apply yourself to a new system, right? Mm -hmm. Like keto, like learn how people do it. And then over time you learn your own body and you become more intuitive with it and you can flow with those changing levers independently Mm -hmm. a little bit better, which I'm, I'm sure you do. Yeah. 
I would say like my favorite scenario when I'm working with someone else is like, they come to me like at the end of their season, they got like a yes. nice like month off season where right. they're not going to sit on the couch the whole time, but they're also not going to do any structured training. Right. And like, they're interested enough to see what it goes. And we start them out with like a strict ketogenic approach, just so like you said, they can experience what that feels like. Right. And you know, sometimes there's some signs within that where like someone who's really struggling to adapt versus someone who is like, you know, they have a couple of rough patches, but are kind of smoothly transitioning into right. it as to like where they're going to end up falling at the end of it all. Mm -hmm. But then like, once they start the structure training again, we start kind of bringing back some carbs strategically and finding out like yeah. where, where, where they need to be ultimately. And I've had yes. some clients where it's like, I try to encourage them to eat more carbohydrates. Some of like, this workout's going to tank you. And then they go and they nail the workout. And I'm just like, well, you, you got by with less than I would have. Yeah. And then I'll have other ones where it's like, we walk them almost right back up to moderate carbohydrate. Yes. It's just where they end up being. Yes, me too. And, but then they've still had that experience. This is how I feel throughout these different, these different scenarios. Here's some levers I can potentially pull if I want to in the future, if it's not running related or performance based, and I want to kind of, you know, change things around They have that experience, they have that ability to kind of reflect. And, um, you know, for, for me, one thing I like to do now too, for myself is, when I do my off season, I'll usually do a strict keto like phase for mm -hmm. anywhere between two to four weeks or so, depending on how long this off season to be is and how quickly I'm going to ramp back up. Do you do so, that to heal and to like resensitize yourself to car? Like, I'm just curious why yeah, you go through that. Phase. You know, I just, to be honest, I think I could probably skip it altogether at this point. I've been just being low carb as long as I have now. I started uh -huh. in, in 2011, so oh, I'm coming wow. up on 11 years of it. Yeah. But I like to, like you, you mentioned the mental side of things. So every time I do it, I try to think of like, I'm going to like try to pay attention to something else and just see how it squares on kind of like different areas that I, cool. that I suspect are maybe going to be different. Yeah. And this most recent one I did, I was kind of paying attention. I'm not a very anxious person, uh -huh. like very much at all, but like everyone is going to have like ebbs and flows to some degree yeah. and like how they respond to like uncertainties and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I noticed this last round was like my, like whatever anxiety is baseline for me comes down a level mm. when I'm at a strict ketogenic phase. And that's different than even when I'm more general low carb. So I don't know if it would just, if it would like linearly increase as I up the carbohydrates. Um, and I mean, sometimes there's probably a benefit from being a little anxious. Like if you need to get something done really quick. Yeah. So there's like a little more like, if, if I had to sit at a, like a desk and bang out coaching plans, like I'd love being strict keto, but you know, when it comes around to like maximizing performance, I know there's going to be at least a spot where carbohydrates are going to play that role. So um, I've run that trial enough times now where I kind of know if I stay strict keto into like, uh, my foundation, my, my structure training is certainly like speed work development. That's where I'm going to notice kind of the, the biggest hit to performance. Mm. You hit on something that I would love to share. Uh, a big focus in my work is on neurotransmitters and how, oh, cool. how diet is impacting our neurotransmitters, how, you know, <laughs> nutrient deficiencies and blood work or mm -hmm. hair mineral tests is something I do. Um, so, um, with key, I mean, we know keto is gabinergic, right? So it helps convert glutamate, which is the most abundant neurotransmitter in our body. It's an excitatory neurotransmitter mm -hmm. and it converts into GABA in our gut and keto increases that conversion, right? Okay. So somebody who is overthinking a lot, that's what high glutamate kind of feels uh, like. I'm, I'm worried about everything. You know, yeah. I can't stop thinking, well, it's just racing my, that's a, classic sign of excess glutamate. And so keto for people who have excess glutamate, 
keto could be just like seriously life-changing in terms of reducing that anxiety because GABA is like the brakes. GABA is an, an inhibitory neurotransmitter. And so I, I would assume that that's my, where my thoughts okay. go huh. of what you were experiencing was an increase in GABA from being keto. Other two neurotransmitters I love to tell people about with keto, just so they can know, right? Because I, I don't like dogma. I'm like, hey, you know, it's there. There's reasons. There's mm-hmm. reasons you're feeling the way you feel. So, so everybody kind of has a different baseline neurotransmitter balance. That's what our personalities really are, sure. you know. And so, dopamine and serotonin are also heavily impacted when you go keto. So, when you eat a diet that's mostly fat and protein you will favor dopamine production. So tyrosine, which helps you make dopamine and tryptophan, which helps you make serotonin, they compete to get across the blood brain barrier. And so a ketogenic diet is going to favor tyrosine, which is going to make dopamine Mm -hmm. dopamine with dopamine. Everybody loves the feeling of dopamine. Dopamine feels driven, confident, go for it. That's why, honestly, I see in the keto community, a lot of people kind of going for it in life, becoming entrepreneurs, becoming influencers, you know, that kind of energy. Yeah. And I, I sit back and watch that. And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense because they're, they've raised their dopamine. And especially if somebody had low dopamine levels and they experience something like that, that's where, in my opinion, you're going to get the keto zealots that are like, yeah. Yeah. this is yeah. the best thing share ever. With everybody. Yeah. You have to do it. You know what I mean? But somebody who already had decent dopamine levels, um, I do a system in my coaching called neurotyping. It's from a guy named Christian Thibodeau up in Canada. And so some people are very sensitive to dopamine already. And so with those clients, sometimes I need to take them through a phase of keto because they might have high blood sugar or something like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had this one guy, I I was like, can you please tell your wife that you are going to become more, tell it like it is like more, you know, (laughs) blunt because that's, you know, dopamine create, especially if they have high GABA. So GABA, you take somebody when they have high, and I kind of see this honestly in the carnivore crowd. Um, I'm, I just kind of watch, they're going to have high GABA and high dopamine because okay. of the way they're eating, right? Mm-hmm. Keto is GABAergic and it increases dopamine and you put GABA and dopamine together and you kind of create a chemical state in which you kind of don't care what anybody else thinks. You're kind of sure. doing what you want. It's just very, it's confident energy, Flip but open Twitter and just start going to town. Yeah. <laughs> it can be a little aggressive seeming sometimes, you know, especially if somebody was already high in those neurotransmitters, yeah. you know? So, huh. and then serotonin is the other one I love to share with people because if you already, if you have good baseline levels of serotonin and you go keto, you're probably gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're already struggling with serotonin and of course, you know, all these neurotransmitters play off of each other. So even if you know that you have low serotonin, there might be other, you know, the impact of GABA or dopamine, you could feel better. So I don't mean to like scare anyone away, but some people, and I've seen it, I've seen it in clients, they'll go keto and they start getting all these symptoms of low serotonin. So they'll get like tons of diarrhea. They're crying for no reason. They don't know why they can't sleep well, you know? And I just think my thoughts are possibly with those people that they may have already had a little bit lower baseline serotonin um, levels and then they go keto and that may have dropped. So those are the people that like, if they really need to do keto, I would really support serotonin production, take five HTP, get mm. lots of sunlight, move every day. And those things, because, yeah. because quite frankly, sunlight and sunlight and exercise are the two most powerful ways to create dopamine and serotonin. But sure. I just like to share this because there is a neurotransmitter impact. That's why people feel so different. It's not just ketones. There's also neurotransmitters at play when you go keto. That's really interesting. Cause I think like one thing that got me once I first went keto the first time that kind of kept me motivated was my sleep actually improved. Mm. Um, 
But after that, like my son, I was so like new to it at that point. I was like done in Kruger and everything. I was like, oh, if it happened to me, then it must happen to everyone. And you're very one dimensional thought. And yeah. then I was like hearing about these people who are like their sleep would suffer. And right. I'm thinking, well, why is it completely different? But maybe that were just different ends of the spectrum with that where they were. Yeah, I think that I mean, to me, my I guess you just from hearing you talk is that you you significantly benefit from like benefit from the GABA increase on mm -hmm. keto because GABA is an inhibitory. So it will help you calm down. Sure. Right. So that, that could be part of it. Your mind's not racing. Even yeah. Possibly. Some well, that would help with sleep, I would imagine. Right. It'll calm your mind. Uh -huh. So interesting. Yeah. So possibly. Yeah, there's so many, so many questions and so only so many answers, but it's fun to think about a lot of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. So like when you, uh, when you finished, uh, so Boston was really your, your kind of like introduction to keto. Yeah. Four and, months then, in. and then you kind of like navigated that for a while. Yeah. And then what, what came next then after, after Boston back to bodybuilding or was it? Yeah. More like I actually never ran a race again after Boston. I was, uh, I had qualified for New York that year too and didn't do it. And I, was going to do it again in 2020, but then we all know what happened. So the yeah, race didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just went back to, I do a lot of, um, different types. I do a lot of strength work, like heavy strength work, mm -hmm. classic bodybuilding stuff, endurance, you know, um, if people aren't familiar, like there's basically three different stimuli that you do when you re do resistance training and there's strength work, which is heavy, lower reps, longer rest intervals. Like you are just, it's just pure nervous system activation. Right. Yeah. And then there's the hypertrophy or bodybuilding, which is like the eight to 12 rep range, you know, the classic bodybuilding style. And then there's endurance training. So I did a lot of endurance weight training when I was endurance running. Uh -huh. Right. So I had muscular endurance. Right. So that's like 15, high volume, high set, that kind of stuff. Um, so I did a lot of that. And then also, you know, just functional hit circuits and sure. stuff like that. So that's, you know, walking in nature and that's yeah. kind of where I've been ever since. And, you know, for me, I still intermittent fast. I love intermittent fasting for me personally. It is just such a flow. I just, I get up early, meditate, do my morning routine, go uh -huh. to the gym and then just wait till I get hungry. Uh -huh. And then I just kind of feast all day until, sure. you know, sometimes I might feast a lot in the afternoon. So I'm done at like four because I'm yeah. stuffed, <laughs> you know, and then sometimes it might be six or something like that. But I try to always give my body a few hours before bed mm -hmm. so that I'm not in rest. I'm not in digestive yeah. mode, you know, so I can recover. And so I feel like doing that, you know, I'm still not like definitely not high carb, you know, I still lean towards, I mean, some days I might be every once in a while, but it's, you know, I still eat keto cereals if I'm going to have a tree sure. and real food and things like that. So I think the combo of being somewhat low carb compared to like normal society and going beast mode in the gym yeah. <laughs> a lot and creating that hormonal environment where I'm prioritizing mm -hmm. growth hormone and insulin sensitivity and all of that. And then intermittent fasting on top of it, it's made for, um, staying lean and strong and recovering well, like a breeze, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, it's really interesting to hear you talk about it because you have like such a variety of different experiences with both fitness and the nutrition side of things. And like when I think of like idea or ideal for the for the average person, some form of metabolic flexibility yes. where like if they miss breakfast, it's not the end of the world. Yes. Like things aren't going to crash down on them. But if they're in a situation where like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to eat like a bunch of food in this congested period of time because of whatever yes. that, that they're, they're comfortable just yes. like waiting for a while to eat again after that versus yep. feeling like, well, now it's dinner time. So guaranteed to have to eat regardless of whatever, how much I ate like earlier in the day and all that stuff. Right. That is the goal yeah. to mm -hmm. me. Metabolic flexibility. I mean, that's what my book is about. That's why it's called short-term keto. I love keto. I put, I have clients on keto right now, you yeah. know, of course, like it's a very useful tool. 
ideally at the end of that roadmap, it's like, yes, I want you to be able, I feel like an optimal metabolism is I can eat carbs and feel great. I can eat no carbs and feel great. I could go carnivore and feel great. I could go, you know, I could do all of the things I can go a long time without eating and feel great. Mm -hmm. I could eat a lot and feel great. You know, I'm not like going into some kind of coma because I ate carbs, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's to me, that's freedom, you know, and that's the mark of a a healthy metabolism is that flexibility, you know, it's adaptable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you, did you start intermittent fasting in a, like a structured way or did your dietary pattern just kind of like produced it? It started when I went keto. I think most people kind of naturally just fall into that pattern, you know? And then when I brought cars back in, it just, it just feels right. Like I'm just not hungry when I wake up, I, I perform so much better personally in the mm-hmm. gym, um, on, on that neurotyping thing. I'm the type that's like, it's more adrenaline dominant, which is interesting. Right. Cause I told you about that calm T mutation, yeah. right? So he's factoring stuff like that into these, but it's, but the quiz is a personality test. Interesting. Right. Oh, yeah. It's really intelligent. So of course, what's going to make you go more high adrenaline, not eating, right? Yeah, <laughs> Which is something, you know, just, just to say for the keto people out there, you know, you got to watch out for that too, because we don't want to go so high adrenaline all the time. Sometimes I see in the keto world, this mentality of like not eating is winning. Yeah. Right. The longer I can go without eating is better. Mm-hmm. No, that's how I have seen countless women with their hair falling out, yeah. thyroid problems, adrenal issues, you know, like eating is good. It it's also good to eat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, then I try to eat somewhat, not super fast. And I'm, I'm, if it doesn't flow and I can't eat and I'm running around, whatever, you know what I mean? But generally I will try to eat something somewhere in that hour or two after I work out just so that I can bring that adrenaline back down and start my recovery mode. So, yeah. yeah. Hey folks, this is just a quick reminder that this episode sponsors include athletic greens and optimal carnivore. You can check out the details and discounts to these products in the show notes or by heading over to zachbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. I always wonder like how people get into like the way they pattern their, their, their meals and things like that, because it's my first thought is always like with, if you're doing a strict ketogenic diet where you're even like kind of paying close attention to your protein intake, like you're in a scenario where like your dominant macronutrient by a long shot is, you know, nine kilocals to the gram. So from a volume to calorie, it's pretty dense. Right. And like, I just find like, you may just be in a position where like, you're just not eating like a 500 calorie, like meal. You're, you're having like a, you know, a 10, 1500 calorie meal. And then like, if you're paying attention to your hunger pangs or lack thereof in a state of ketosis, you're just in a situation where you fueled up with a pretty good dose of energy. Your body's not going to require more for a while. You just end up finding this pattern of a little more like longer spaces between. Yes. I think that's maybe like the intuitive approach, but now I think time restricted feeding and like intermittent fasting, things like that has been, is like kind of interesting enough to people where they've probably come across these different like structures and, and templates and things like yeah, that. Yeah. It's, it, that's, that's such a great point. And it's, it's interesting the reasons why, right. I'm mm-hmm. doing it for, to boost athletic performance the way I want to, that's yeah. catered to my body. Uh-huh. And then I'm not eating at night because I want to sleep well. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause every once in a while, like last night I had to pick up a friend from the airport here. It was way later than my normal bedtime. Yeah. Right. And I felt myself getting hungry because I'm not yeah. usually up till 11, yeah. 12, <laughs> almost at night. You know, I go to bed at eight. Yeah. Right? No, so, like, yeah. so I was like, Oh wow, I am hungry, but I didn't want to eat because I'm like, I'm not going to do, I'm going to get sleep deprived and I'm going to eat before right. bed and mess up all my repair. Yeah. No, you know what yeah. I mean? So the motivations of why we eat, 
the way we do are different and it might change for me over time. You know, maybe mm-hmm. someday I won't be beast mode chick at the gym and yeah. I'll eat breakfast again, you know, and I just flow with what meet, meets my needs. Yeah. Well, and your life experience will be very useful if you make a transition like that, because now you have a scenario where like you've seen things seemingly work well, but then maybe not when you've changed the lifestyle factor right? Or and adapt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, it won't be like something foreign to you. You'll be like, Oh, this is just, you know, round five of yeah. the things I've done in the past. Exactly. And, you'll navigate yeah. and speaking of time restricted eating, um, just, I'll just drop this for women, just food for thought. I mean, it could apply to men too, but like, I told you that I didn't lose my period when I was 11% body fat. And then I did do a bodybuilding two bodybuilding shows last year as an experiment as a coach. Cause no offense, but I, I personally don't like the sport. So like, there's a lot of toxicity <laughs> and that's where, so I kind of like went in to see what it was really like. So I didn't judge it from the outside. Uh-huh. Um, I was 10% body fat, still didn't lose my period. Okay. So I have a pretty hearty cycle, I guess. Sure. Right. I, during COVID, because I wasn't going to the gym and going all beast mode, my appetite dropped significantly. Like uh-huh. I couldn't get over it. Cause my, my friends kind of make fun of me. They're like, dang, you can eat. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. Right. So, um, but I, I couldn't even believe it. And I, I fell into one meal a day. Cause I just literally wasn't hungry. Like yeah. I wouldn't get hungry till like the middle of the day. And then I would go ham yeah. and I was so full from that meal. I would just go to bed yeah. and and so I started, I was like, well, let me experiment with OMAD, you know, mm-hmm. like this is kind of flowing anyway. Like, like so, I, you know, some days I was kind of hungry at night, but I was like, no, I'm going to try OMAD and see how it goes. I lost, I totally, my period got totally dysregulated completely. Okay. And so that for me was interesting mm-hmm. first, because I was like, I know a lot of women I feel like are more predisposed to that. Sure. And so I think it was just too much stress yeah. on my body. So just throwing, I mean, you know, everybody's different, but just throwing that out there for women athletes who are considering one meal a day, you know, just watch that kind of stuff because I mean, the biggest indicator that something is wrong is your reproductive system. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, hello, we don't want you to reproduce another baby. Right. right. So yeah. it's a huge sign to ourselves that something's off. So just throwing that out there, food for thought for female athletes, considering one meal a day. Yeah. Yeah. I think athletes in general, cause it's just, you create like an environment where you're trying to put not only your resting metabolic rate, but all your like non-exercise related metabolism, plus your accelerated metabolism right. in a one meal. Right. It's just like, it's, it's sort of a recipe to like eventually over time, chronically under eat. And if you have some weight to lose, that can be useful in the short term, but in the long term, that's going to eventually have an end to it. So like, what's your plan when that ends? Like, right. Pile more onto that already large meal. Yeah. And your gut is just like, please stop. (laughs) Uh Yeah. And then you have to, you have to like, and everyone's gonna be a little different how they like digest that volume of food too, right. and what what totally. foods they're eating too so like- i am like an iron i have like an iron i mean i will just crank through i i digest really well mm-hmm. and so because i i've noticed in general people will be like full before i will be uh-huh. and i don't get bloated and i just digest you know and so i think you know even for me, like it was still a lot of food at one time, you know what yeah. I mean? And so most people, I don't think they have that kind of gut motility. So, right. you know, I know a lot of people like it and if you love it and feel great, like by all means, but just some words of caution on that, like really pay attention uh-huh. to how you're actually doing, you know, and how feeling and, you know, what are your energy levels? Like, are you, are you kind of in that adrenal mode all the time? Mm-hmm. Cause that's the thing, uh, Christian, Christian Thibodeau, who did this neurotyping thing was, was like my first mentor in the industry. And he, he doesn't believe this is his opinion. He doesn't believe people are high on ketones. He believes they're high on adrenaline. Okay. Yeah. I've heard that where it's like, or like a cortisol response or something like a flight or fight response to the, uh, like 
the lack of carbohydrate or right, in some cases, you go lack in, of frequency of eating. Right. Which, you know, um, uh, Dr. Finney and Volick mm-hmm. did, you know, um, they wrote about this on their Verta health blog, but they were talking about how they found that as long as you have enough salt, mm-hmm. you can offset that huge adrenal response, okay. but it is something, it is one of my concerns, like just trying to put that out there for anybody who's keto, especially women. I see this so much because they tend towards that adrenal state anyway of like serving and helping and yeah. being busy all the time and worrying about like all their friends and family and kids. And you know yeah. what I mean? And so, like for them, I'm just like, make sure like you can sometimes, I mean, everyone's different, but for the most part going from carbs to keto, it's like, you can't even believe how much more salt you need. Right. Yeah. Because like you said, you're holding, you know, maybe three grams of water for every gram of carbohydrate, mm-hmm. you dropping that out. You're just not holding salt. All you have really yeah. to hold the water, you know, and potassium. Cause you'll dump potassium in, in an effort to balance your sodium potassium ratio when salt yeah. is low. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I always wonder about, especially with the low carb ketogenic community, if someone has like a potassium deficiency, if that's more of a sodium deficiency because so. they're excreting. I think so. Um, cause when you think about it, like potassium, what is the recommendations like 3,500 milligrams per day? So it's already a little higher, um, comparatively. So if you're eating, and then if you're, you're, ketogenic diet is restricting because potassium is oftentimes found in a lot of foods that you're probably not going to eat right. on a ketogenic diet. Right. So now you have that double hit of like, all right, if I'm not on top of sodium, I'm going to dump more potassium and I'm under my requirements. And then exactly. I think you find yourself in a goofy spot. Now you got all these calf cramps and stuff yeah. at night. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're waking up, seizing your calf, that's a good sign. You should investigate your hydration and electrolyte status. Right. And people kind of go straight to <laughs> potassium on that. Like, oh, it's a potassium issue. I'm getting yeah. muscle cramping, but it's like, it's exactly what you said is what I think the priority Mm -hmm. is, is like, well, let's look at your sodium. And, you know, sometimes I think it is beneficial to get a hair mineral analysis instead of just blood, because it's going to show you a longer snapshot of what your stores have been like. If you do one, just make sure you cut it really close because you want it like what the most recent, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. people, they, you know, send in a long yeah. strand like this, like this is like yeah. four years ago. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, how was my, how was my potassium <laughs> status <laughs> back in 2018? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I that think... would be interesting to analyze it like a tree. Ooh, like, I wonder if you could. Like, oh, I was really dialed in this year. I mean, what was I doing differently then? <laughs> I'll have to ask upgraded formulas over there. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what happened to you in 2019? Yeah. Did you go through something traumatic? <laughs> You don't even have to document your nutrition anymore. You can just ha- analyze the hair and know if you were on point or not. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, you know what I was thinking when we were talking about just the different stuff you've done is, have you ever done any of the obstacle course racing? I haven't. Everyone has asked you me. You would crush that, I would think. I would love it. I, it's just, I just haven't signed up for it. I yeah, I just it. feel like it's like a blend of everything you've gotten excited about at some point in time, all rolled yeah, into one. Yeah, yeah. Do you do those? I don't know. I would... I would love to do one at some point. I guess yeah. I got so kind of focused on ultra running and stuff. Right. And as I got into ultra, when I first started ultra running, the sport was very much like kind of everyone just did everything. And mm-hmm. then it got like, it grew enough where now, like if you really want to, you know, find yourself doing quite well, you kind of got to pick a specific discipline within the sport to make your mm-hmm. primary focus. So then it just doesn't give you as much kind of like freedom to play around as much I as see. maybe in the past. Right. Um, I mean, plenty of people still do that, but like, it just yeah. depends. You gotta stay focused on yeah. the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least for now. So yeah. like, there's that, but, but yeah, I think like when I think of obstacle course racing, it's literally like a jack of all trades Yeah, where you gotta be like pretty good at everything and you can't be like really bad at any one thing. Mm. And it just seems like you've got 
That would be fun to the train for. To... That is the one thing I miss about marathoning since I haven't been doing it. It's it's fun to even even in my resistance training, it's fun like, okay, I'm gonna work on, you know, my hip extension, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna train with those hip extension machines and things yeah. like that to make me faster. I'm gonna do heavy sleds as fast as I can, or yeah. you know, it's fun to have purpose mm-hmm. in your training. So I'll all right, I'll look yeah. into it. I always like, I envy to some, I try to structure my training this way where I periodize it enough where I'm kind of transitioning from certain focuses of workouts, uh, at a time. So it doesn't get too stale. But like, I always think of like that sport as being like, how could you ever get bored doing that? True. Cause you can never do enough of any one thing to get bored with it before you're like, all right, today I'm going hard in the gym tomorrow. I'm doing a long run. Right. I'm, I'm doing hill sprints then, you know, so it's always something new. Yeah. I appreciate that <laughs> suggestion on the neurotyping thing. The two a that I am, the word that we use for them is variety. Uh-huh. And that is definitely, he, he said, Christian says everything will work for them as, but not for long because they get bored and they yeah. want to change into something else, you know? And so, yeah, I think that would be my jam. So thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, no, it'd be fun to see how that goes, but yeah. So, um, keto in and out is your new book or, uh, keto. So keto in and out is how I started. Actually it was from KetoCon here in 2018, um, was when the idea was born. And that was the program that I created around it because I noticed, and this is what happened. I felt like it was like fateful. I was like, what is going on? I was, um, you know, some people knew who I was. I was working at a friend's booth and I had three different women come up to me and they were like kind of the same person. They had the same story. They were all like perimenopausal. They still had you know, some weight to lose. Mm -hmm. And they were like, Hey, can you help me out? I've been keto for a year or two years or three years, you know, somewhere in there. Um, I have tried everything. I have tried cardio. I've tried walking. I've tried resistance training. I've tried Olympic lifting. I've tried yoga only. I've tried not exercising. I've tried more fat, less fat, more protein, less fat, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, okay, these are all the things that I wouldn't try, you know, all these things. And I was like, you know, have you done your blood work? Have you checked your hormones? All this stuff. And then I, I, to each one of them, I said, I was like, did you try bringing carbs back in? And when I said that they looked at all three of them looked at me like Mortified. deer in yeah. headlights. Like I had sworn in church, you know what I mean? Like they were like, what did you say? You know, like, are you being serious right now? And I was like, huh, that's interesting that they kind of won't even consider mm-hmm. that an option, you know, and yeah. they didn't have, you know, cancer or something they were healing. Right. They were just trying to lose weight. Right. And so, um, that's when I, I just really thought about that as I got home, I was like, wow, there, you know, I'm a keto specialist at that time. I was pretty much only coaching keto. That's all people wanted. It was like the keto craze in 2018, you know? And, um, and I was like, you know, I think we need to talk about this more like when and why and how you would bring carbohydrates back in after a keto journey. So I created keto in and out. I had that program going for a while, led boot camps, you know, um, teaching people all of these things. And, and then I um, got an offer to write a book from Victory Belt. And so we called it short-term keto oh, is cool. the name we went for. Um, and it's, you know, my, my little tagline in the space is do keto, not forever. Uh-huh. Right. You know, and some people, yes, do keto forever, especially if you're, you know, epilepsy or yeah. you know, type two diabetes, you might not be able to heal that if it's mm-hmm. gone super far. And that is a super intelligent lifestyle intervention for those people, you know? Um, but you know, and some, if you just feel better and you love it by all means, like, don't let me get in the way. But, but, but my message was for people who it's not going well anymore, kind of like me and like needing some intelligent strategies for like, okay, like why and when and how, and how do I train what changes, you know? And Mm -hmm. so then I started coaching a lot of, I kind of became that person in the space. I was like the (laughs) coming out of keto coach, you know? And so that's where my journey went from there. No, I like that. I think uh, one thing I try to do, like, even if the person is like 
super convinced they want to do like strict keto or low carb. They've made that up in their mind. And regardless of whether it's going to end well for them or not, they're, they're willing to get that life experience and figure out for themselves. I just try to make sure like anytime I'm going to like praise a certain thing, whether it be like a specific type of fat, you know, protein or carbohydrate, share with them some positives and negatives about it. Yeah. So that they're not looking at any one thing as like a silver bullet, but they're also not looking at anything as a demonization either. So then when it comes to that conversation, Hey, maybe we should bring a little bit of carbohydrate background here. They're not quite as paralyzed with it because they've already heard like, that is so smart. That makes me happy to hear, you know, because like a lot of the work that I've had to do as a lot of people I'm working with, they just, they didn't have a coach. They're just going off social media, yeah. you know, carbs are going to kill you. Carbs are oxidative. Right. They're poison. They, you and know, that's all what moves you up the algorithm. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and so I'm getting, you know, and especially, you know, especially when I have somebody who's had significant fat loss on keto, mm-hmm. um, a client, she was just an old client. She was just messaging me today, but she had lost a hundred pounds on keto before she came to me, but mm-hmm. she was lean. Like she had muscle. She really had made a significant change in yeah. her life. And it, but, but she was terrified to bring carbohydrates right. back in. Right. So we had to do a lot of mindset work yeah. around it. it was like her mind, the carbs putting her right back to the hundred pounds. It's she lost. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, anybody, anyone I've worked with who had significant weight loss, it's hard for them to, they have to do deep work to settle into like getting out of, I'm running from that. Uh-huh. Right. It's, it's kind of this, like I'm running from not going back to that. And like, settling into like, this is who you are now. Like you've made it like, this is the new you, like, it's okay. You don't have to be in fear anymore, you know? And so, you know, a lot of, honestly, a lot, a lot of people that I work with, you know, that were starting to bring carbohydrates back in, there was a lot of fear stories, a lot of, um, kind of like manic-y, like restrict and binge type things yeah. and stuff like that. So it makes me happy to hear that there's, you know, coaches out there that are like saying, like giving them that preemptive, um, neutral, neutral energy around yeah. you know, it's not, they're not demons. See, they're tools. These are all tools. <laughs> yes. Like, and I mean, some people, they may rarely use the hammer because what they're doing requires a screw a lot of times. And there's other people, right. it's vice versa, but right. you know, you want that tool available to you when it, when it does yeah. become useful. So yes. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting world in nutrition yeah. for sure, but yeah. Um, so yeah, what's next for you? Anything else coming up other than the, oh, the man. books and yes. pod- you have a podcast too, I right? I do have a podcast. It's the inside out health podcast. I'd love to have you on it. Yeah, no, I'd love it. <laughs> okay. Awesome. And, um, we have, I have an app. It's just called coach Tara. And oh, so sweet. that's, uh, so what I do in my coaching, it's called higher coaching. I do training nutrition and then biohacking. Biohacking is really just like the deeper health optimization sure. stuff, like heart rate variability, mm-hmm. blood, hair, mineral analysis, DNA, like all that kind of stuff. And then also, um, you know, mindset is a, I, I feel like it's like 98% of my coaching, but you know, (laughs) there's a lot going on behind the scenes and the work you're doing with clients as a coach and the Mm -hmm. mindset department, you know, um, I have, uh, also retreats. I just started retreats. So that's a big passion of mine. Oh, Yeah. Nice. So, uh, I'll be going to big islands in spring of 2023 with a small group. Oh, wow. We're putting together and then Sedona. So that's a big push for me is getting people out in nature, Mm -hmm. you know, integrating with the land, like being in calm, being in community or whatever. So that's all the big stuff I have going on. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thanks a bunch for taking some time. Thank you. Um, you want to share your social media sure. and people can reach you out. Yep. It's coach Tara Garrison. So it's T A R a coach Tara Garrison. My two biggest platforms are TikTok and Instagram. And then my website is Tara and pretty much everything's on Perfect. there. Perfect. And make it simple. 
not like me. I've got like a different thing for everything. <laughs> <laughs> they got to find you. They got to be a real fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no, awesome. I'll put that stuff in the show notes too. So folks want to check into you. what you're doing and, or just follow you on social media. They'll have that. Thanks. Zach. But, it's an honor. Thank you for having me on your show. No, Appreciate my it. pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this episode of the human performance outliers podcast with Zach bitter. All right, folks, if you are interested in adding some structure to your training program, I have some options that might interest you. Over on my website, ZachBitter.com, I have a wide range of ready-made plans that have options for beginners to advanced endurance athletes. I also have personalized plan options where I will cater a plan specific to the event you are preparing for and your personal schedule and training availability. You can also access a variety of add-on options from email collaboration to consultation calls to help guide you through your training and nutrition needs. You can access these with or without a formal plan. So head over to ZachBitter.com and let me know what you think.